Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Lame Man at the Temple, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. We are very happy to announce that our new website build is back on track. The provided editor has been upgraded to reflect today's building methods of websites. We have a template that we have just minimally made our own. We will be updating this template to make the provided site our own. Soon, we will now have our new website up and running. May God bless you all. Our last episode was The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 2, hosted on January 29th. Chapter 2, verse 42 of Acts, opened with, Every day they continued to gather together by common consent. What does this verse segment say? Did that say every Sunday? No, every day. Every day they continued to gather together by what? Common consent. What is meant by common consent? Is that the same as we today say being in agreement? Is there anyone in your life today that you are in common consent with, being in agreement with, every day? That is where these people in our Bibles were. We can learn more from this statement found in Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Quote, And thus, these holy Christians, conversing together with great simplicity, and sincerity, they went on cheerfully in their Christian course, praising God for what he had done for them and by them. As stated here, are today's Christians holy, or do they resemble a coin, a bright and shining Christian on one side, and? To find out more, Listen to our previous episode titled, The Fellowship of the Early Believers, Part 2. This week, our study is, The Lame Man at the Temple, Part 1. Our scripture reads, Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time for prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried up who was placed at the temple gate called the Beautiful Gate, every day so he could beg for money from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, he asked them for money. Peter looked directly at him, as did John, and said, Look at us! So the lame man paid attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. 
But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. From the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1, through the first sentence of verse 6. Please note, verse 6 was intentionally cut short at the end of the first sentence for study purposes. We will pick up the second sentence in verse 6 next week. All of verse 6 is the start of the full thought forming more solidly. First, we can acquire some definition here from the phrase, at the hour of prayer, which, as we already learned, is a daily observance. The Jewish day was divided into twelve equal parts. Of course, the ninth hour would be about three o'clock p.m. This was the hour of evening prayer. Morning prayer was offered at nine o'clock. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. That should help us better understand this subject of daily prayer in these old days. Do you pray every day at least once? Every morning or every evening? I know many American people who say they are a born-again Christian and confess that prayer accomplishes nothing. If that is true, then how can one be a believer? One who is saved of Christ. How can you believe in the saving grace of Christ if prayer is valueless to you? Let us dig deeper by reading this quote. In Luke chapter 24, verse 53, it is said that the apostles were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. From Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it is clear that all the disciples were accustomed daily to resort to the temple for devotion. Whether they joined in the sacrifices of the temple service is not said, but the thing is not improbable. This was the place and the manner in which they and their fathers had worshipped. They came slowly to the conclusion that they were to leave the temple and they would naturally resort there with their countrymen to worship the God of their fathers. In the previous chapter, we are told in general that many wonders and signs were done by the hands of the apostles. From the many miracles which were performed, Luke selects one of which he gives a more full account, and especially as it gives him occasion to record another of the addresses of Peter to the Jews. An impostor would have been satisfied with the general statement that many miracles were performed. The sacred writers descend to particulars and tell us where and in relation to whom they were performed. This is a proof that they were honest men and did not intend to deceive. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. While not in the exact same wording, we see this comment again. They were honest men, and did not intend to deceive. Meaning, deception was not deliberately in their hearts and minds. It was not their intent. Their hearts and minds 
were for God to use as God saw fit in their time and place. Notice, too, this was the place and the manner in which they and their fathers had worshipped. This statement alone tells us that this already is a generational observance. Many American generations have never been to church. Any attendance is most always to appease unrest in their soul, meaning regular attendance and serving God were not their chief reason for attending church. It stemmed most chiefly from a matter of visual correctness in a social venue and state of other people's minds. We can note further the remarkable diligence and industry of St. Peter and the other apostles in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the third hour of the day on the Feast of Pentecost, that is, at nine o'clock in the morning, St. Peter preached a sermon, which by the blessing of the Holy Spirit accompanying it converted 3,000 souls. Here at three o'clock in the afternoon on the same day, as the learned Dr. Lightfoot notes, he preached a second sermon which converts 5,000 more. This affords at once a good precedent and a good encouragement to the apostles' successors, the ministers of Christ, to the end of the world for the preaching twice upon the Lord's day. If, in the room of three and five thousand souls, we be instrumental for the conversion of one single soul, it is infinitely worth the indefatigable pains and diligence of our whole lives. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burgett. In this commentary passage, we should note this comment. This affords at once a good precedent and a good encouragement to the apostles' successors, the ministers of Christ, to the end of the world, for the preaching twice upon the Lord's day. Notice closer. This affords at once a good precedent and a good encouragement to the apostles' successors, who are who? The ministers of Christ. Are we not the ministers of Christ because we are the apostles' successors? That question has only one answer. Yes! We are the apostles' successors, and we are also ministers of Christ. Not like an ordained minister who is always the head minister or pastor in a church. So, for clarity, let us examine what is meant here. We are ministers of Christ as defined by the word minister, which means a magistrate, an executive officer for he is the minister of God to you for good, a delegate, an ambassador, 
the representative of a sovereign at a foreign court, usually such as is resident at a foreign court, but not restricted to such, one who serves at the altar, one who performs sacerdotal duties, the pastor of a church, duly authorized or licensed to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Christ is called a minister of the sanctuary. From Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of American English. You should notice three types of ministers in this word definition. Those who are not ordained as a legal minister or pastor is. The rest of us are also thought of as delegates, ambassadors, and or representatives of our sovereign, Jesus Christ. The foreign court, in our case today, can be thought of as the world in general that we interact with every day. This makes all of us ministers by our witness to others who are not yet saved in Christ. Now, verse 2 reads, And a man lame from birth was being carried up, who was placed at the temple gate called the Beautiful Gate, every day so he could beg for money from those going into the temple courts. Why is this important? The mention of this shows that there was no deception in this case. The man had been always lame. He was obliged to be carried, and he was well known to the Jews. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. So, we have an understanding that there is no deception in what we will read next about this lame man in our Bibles and commentary. Let us see why. His friends laid him there daily. He would therefore be well known to those who were in the habit of entering the temple. Among the ancients, there were no hospitals for the afflicted and no almshouses for the poor. The poor were dependent, therefore, on the charity of those who were in better circumstances. It became an important matter for them to be placed where they would see many people. Hence, it was customary to place them at the gates of rich men, and they also sat by the side of the highway to beg where many persons would pass. The entrance to the temple would be a favorable place for begging for. 1. Great multitudes were accustomed to enter there and 2. Were going up for the purpose of religion. They would be more inclined to give alms than at any other time. And especially was this true of the Pharisees, who were particularly desirous of publicity in the bestowing charity. It is recorded by Martial that this custom prevailed among the Romans of placing the poor by the gates of the temples, and the custom was also observed a long time in the Christian churches. From Barnes' New Testament Notes
There is the understanding we need to know why this lame man was even there in the first place, at the gates of the Temple Beautiful. This clearly notes to the modern reader that no deception was performed by anyone, including the lame man himself. Today, and in recent years past, I have seen people who would gather at entrances of sporting events and pretend they were blind and beg people to buy a pencil, maybe more than one. Making matters worse, these people most always were working people and they were not blind for any reason as these people pretended to be. A good actor or actress is the best that could be said of these people. All that to say that no such deception was at play with regard to the lame man outside the temple of whom we are examining in this scripture passage. Now, for this week, our closing verses read, When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, he asked them for money. Peter looked directly at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. So the lame man paid attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. Again, we end this week at the first sentence in verse 6. What can we learn from what we just read in Scripture? Again, we see, there is no evidence that he was acquainted with them or knew who they were. He asked of them, as he was accustomed to do, of the multitude that entered the temple. The word used here denotes to look intently or with fixed attention. It is one of peculiar words which Luke uses. It is used by no other writer in the New Testament except by Paul twice. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 13. All this was done to fix the attention. He was to call the attention of the man directly to himself and to what he was about to do. It was also done that the man might be fully apprised that his restoration to health came from him. The man had asked for money. Peter assures him that he had not that to give. It was done, however, in such a way as to show his willingness to aid him if he had possessed it, such as is in my power. It is not to be supposed that he meant to say that he originated this power himself, but only that it was entrusted to him. He immediately adds that it was derived solely from the Lord Jesus Christ. From Barnes, New Testament Notes. That lends to this question. If we do not have the ability to give in a worldly sense, as in this case, money, do we simply walk away? Do we not see what a person really needs and then depend on the gifting of God through His Holy Spirit in us to work through us and do something miraculous 
as Peter and John did? Notice further, the apostles' poverty was real, not fictitious. The holiest, the wisest, the best men are seldom the wealthiest. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give. As if he had said, I have no money to give you, but that which is better than money, I have received power from Christ to cure and heal diseases, and having received it freely, I will give it freely. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, that is, by the power of Jesus, whom in contempt you call Jesus of Nazareth, be healed, rise up, and walk. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Finally, for clarity, notice. In the name of Jesus Christ, when the Savior wrought miracles, the power existed in himself. He performed them in his Father's name only in the sense that the Father had sent him to do them. Reference John chapter 5 verse 36 and John chapter 10 verse 25. But when the power was wholly in Christ, and they obtained the exercise of it through faith in him, compare with Acts chapter 3 verse 12 and verse 16, all persons may be useful. If they cannot do good in one way, they may in another, and true religion will lead them to do it. They will make efforts for this purpose and depend upon the power and grace of Christ for success. From Family Bible Notes from the Nazarene Users Group. Notice these two sentences from Family Bible Notes Commentary. All persons may be useful. If they cannot do good in one way, they may in another, and true religion will lead them to do it. First, never think you are not useful to God. This last passage of examination opens with the word all. Not specific people, not certain people, not just those who are blessed specifically of God, but all persons may be useful. This is you and this is me. Notice further, and more directly to make a point. If you cannot do good in one way, you may in another, and true religion will lead you to do it. Next week, we will examine our new study titled, The Lame Man in the Temple, Part 2. While this passage speaks of Peter and John healing a lame man, what is in this passage we can use today? Join us next week as we look further for the answers to the question and more. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow.
This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.